Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. There is no common ground possible between the people who believe in objective truth and cultural Marxists. Parents, social media is undermining you left and right. I mean, it's like dumping a bucket of termites outside your house every day and then thinking, it'll be fine, they won't mess with my house. Feminism has told us that our, our children are the obstacle to our happiness instead of a means to our happiness. You know, when we take those tender and important and precious relationships away from women, they're not going to be more fulfilled without it. You know, Luther said on his deathbed that we're beggars all. He could have said, we're all dogs receiving crumbs from our master's table. This is Mark from Michigan, and I am a lawnmower listener. We love issues, etc. We have been talking about the situation in Austin, Texas, involving Concordia University, Texas, a university of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and the leadership attempt to reject the governance and oversight of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We had hoped that it would not come to this, but in an update, there has been a complaint filed by the LCMS against the leadership of Concordia University, Texas. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Tom Halverson will join us to talk about that complaint filed in federal court. Then we'll start a series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament, with Dr. Reed Lessing, co-author of the Issues Etc., Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. Tom Halverson is a regular guest. He's an attorney in Montana. And he's author of a recent column titled Complaint Filed in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod v. Christian, Bandwolf, and Concordia University, Texas. Tom, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Todd. Give us a brief outline of what's in this complaint that was recently filed by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod against the multiple Concordia University, Texas defendants. This complaint, like all complaints in a federal district court, which is where it is filed, follows a pattern that is pretty much established by the law and requirements about how you go about pleading a case in a federal court. So it's got a stylized order and sequence to it. It begins by stating what court it is in. So it names the federal district court in Texas where it is filed. Then it names the parties. And so it'll list the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod as the plaintiff and the several defendants as the defendants, gives the case number assigned by the clerk of court. And then the next thing that it has to do is explain why the case is in federal court, because by default, it wouldn't be, it would be a state court case. And the federal courts are courts of limited jurisdiction, so you always have to start out explaining why you're even in a federal court. So that's the next section of the complaint. And then when you have a complaint that might have multiple counts or multiple claims, with a lot of common background or context to it, and you don't want to be repeating all this common background and context every time you start the next count or the next complaint, you can have a section with the common background, the common context that'll be relevant to all of the counts so that as you get to count one, you can just say, we're re-alleging all of that. You get to count two, we're re-alleging all of that. And then just go on within the counts to add allegations that are unique to that count. So this complaint has a section like that. And by far, that background is the longest section. And it's got a lot of very interesting stuff in it. Then you reach the claims themselves, and count one is seeking declaratory judgment against the Concordia University Texas Corporation to declare certain rights and duties of the parties. Count two is a claim that the CTX defendant has breached a contract 
between CTX and the LCMS that is formed by the Articles of Incorporation of CTX. Count three is an alternative to the contract claim if it says that if the court decides that we don't have a contract or that it wasn't breached, as a backup position, we make a claim in equity for something called promissory estoppel against CTX. And when we get to discussion of that part of the complaint, we can explain what promissory estoppel means. The fourth claim is for breach of fiduciary duties, and this is against all of the defendants, CTX, Christopher Banwolf, and Donald Christian, all of the defendants are fiduciaries, and the LCMS alleges that they have all breached fiduciary duties to the LCMS. Count five is an interesting count about allegation of violations by CTX and Donald Christian of certain provisions of the Texas Business Organization Code that surround when they filed the amendment of Articles of Incorporation in November of 2022. The final count, number six, is for something called tortious interference with contract. This is only against Donald Christian. It's saying, remember from count two, we said there was a contract between the LCMS and CTX. Well, everybody has a right under tort law not to have outsiders to a contract interfere with our contractual relations. And if they do and it causes harm, then that's a type of wrong called a tort, a tortious interference with contract. That claim is against Donald Christian only. Then there's a demand for jury trial, which is very interesting, and the prayers for relief. Now, the prayers for relief, you come to the section where the court might say, okay, we heard what you said happened, and then you explain why it adds up to a case, but what do you want us to do about it? And so the prayers for relief are the what do you want us to do about it part, and that's where the LCMS pleads that they want declaratory judgment, they want damages, they want the reversionary interest to be put onto the new campus the way it was on the old campus. They want the articles of incorporation and bylaws to be put back the way they were before and so forth. Those are the prayers for relief, and that's pretty much the outline of the complaint. So when we talked about the potential for civil litigation in our prior conversations, we were contemplating lawsuits in the state courts of Texas. So... How has this complaint been filed in a federal court? Yeah, that's kind of interesting. The first thing I, you notice, or the first thing that jumped out at me when I first saw this complaint is that it's in federal court. And to explain that, I need to back up and explain a couple of other things. And then once we have those a few items in mind, we'll be able to see what, how this happened and what it means about what law is going to apply. To begin with, you have two different kinds of courts, one called courts of general jurisdiction, and then another set of courts called courts of limited jurisdiction. Most of your state district courts around the country are courts of general jurisdiction. And what that just means is that there's an assumption that the court has jurisdiction over the subject matter of practically any kind of case you might file in it. They don't have to have any special expertise or jurisdiction to hear this, that, or the other kind of case. And unless some party raises an objection to the subject matter jurisdiction, or the court can itself raise that objection, it's just assumed and nobody spends any time explaining why are you in this court. Courts of limited jurisdiction are just the opposite of that. There's no assumption that the court has jurisdiction of the subject matter. And consequently, one of the first tasks of a party filing a complaint, such as the LCMS filing this complaint, is that right away, before you even get into the counts, you got to explain why are you in this court? This is a court of limited jurisdiction. Tell us why we are within our limits here, because otherwise the court doesn't want to hear the case. So the Jurisdiction of the federal district courts is partly given to them directly by the Constitution of the United States, but also a lot of it is given to them by the Congress of the United States. The Congress, many, many years ago, decided to create jurisdiction in the federal district courts in situations that they call absolute diversity of citizenship. Now, this just means that the defendants are all Texas citizens, but the plaintiff is not from Texas. That's a diversity or a difference 
of citizenship. And if the diversity is absolute, which is to say all the defendants are Texans, there's not one non-Texan in there. And all of the plaintiffs are not Texans. In this case, the LCMS is a Missouri corporation. Then that's an absolute diversity of citizenship. And Congress had the idea that in a case like that, a state court might have a bias and not really be impartial and, and tend to favor their own citizens of their own state. So they wanted to give parties an opportunity to enhance the impartiality of the court that would hear their case by letting it go to a federal court because federal judges, even though they might be sitting in Texas or Montana or wherever you're from, don't really give a lot of home court advantage to their litigants from their own state because that the whole federal mindset is completely different than the mindset of the state courts. So with that explanation there, the LCMS made a choice, which was their right to make, to file the case in federal court because it's from Missouri and all of the defendants are from Texas. So even though a federal court ordinarily wouldn't have jurisdiction over this contract corporation and fiduciary uh, breach type of stuff, it would be a state court. But because of the diversity of citizenship, it can be in a federal district court, and that's how it got here. Now, what that also tells you, though, is that even though you're in federal court, that doesn't shift the matter to federal law about contracts or federal law about corporations or any of the rest of the issues in the case. It's only here because of the diversity of citizenship of the parties, not because of the subject matter of the case, and therefore the substantive law that the federal court will apply will still be the law of Texas. So you mentioned this briefly before, but talk about who the parties are to this case and how each is involved in this complaint. The complaint has a single plaintiff, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which is a Missouri nonprofit corporation. And then it has two named individual defendants, one named corporate defendant, and 12 unnamed individual defendants. The first individual defendant is Donald Christian, the president of the university. And he's involved in the case because, for example, in the claim about the tortious interference with contract, the claim is that he's the one that interfered with the contract between the LCMS and CTX. Or in the case of the violation of the Texas Business Organizations Code, that's against both CTX and Donald Christian because that's who signed the certification that everything that should have happened to amend articles had happened. And the LCMS will be claiming that they knew that wasn't true because they didn't have the approval of the Commission on Constitutional Matters of the LCMS. The chairman, Christopher Banwolf, is, because of his chairmanship, was part of the breach of contract. And so this is how some of these parties are involved. The CTX is in most of these counts, but there are some that are only against certain parties, particularly the tortious interference is only against Donald Christian. The John Doe's that are named there, can you just explain that a little bit? Yeah, this happens not as much in state courts, although it does happen sometimes in state courts, but it happens quite a lot in federal courts and it's happening here. The unknown individual defendants are unknown because they are members of the Board of Regents who in secret voted to amend the bylaws and the articles without authority from the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Because those votes were done in an executive session or some other form of secrecy, the LCMS maybe has some ideas that they think they know who voted for and against. It was a divided vote. There were some no votes because we know that because some of those people have publicly said they voted no. But other than that, we don't really know who voted in what way. And so we're naming one to 12 because it could be as many as 12, but it might turn out to be less than that who voted in favor of amending the articles and bylaws. And they're going to have to be discovered. Discovery is a process in civil cases where the parties are required by the rules of civil procedure to disclose information to each other, to make exchanges of information. 
So the LCMS has pleaded in this complaint that they are going to discover, that means using those discovery procedures, by requiring CTX to tell them who voted in what way. And when they find that out, then the complaint says, once those people are identified, they will be named in their own names, they will be served, and they will be made parties to the case. Tom Halverson is our guest. We're getting an update on an attempt by Concordia University, Texas, to reject the governance and oversight of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. On the other side, more on the background. Issues Etc. Regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. The radio voice of the Lutheran faith for the 21st century. You're listening to Issues Etc. At the center of our campus is Kramer Chapel, and there's a reason for that. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Arthur Just. Because it is the heartbeat of Concordia Theological Seminary. It is where we go to hear the voice of Jesus and frequently be fed with the body and blood of Christ. We sometimes call it our Jerusalem. Kramer Chapel points to the classroom, which we sometimes call Athens. It is there that we do theology, biblical studies, systematic theology, practical theology, history. We love theology here, and we love the study of it, and we love coming together in worship. It's one of the things that gives us great joy, joy in worshiping, joy in studying theology, Concordia Theological Seminary is all about the joy of being in Jesus. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're getting an update on the attempt by Concordia University, Texas, to reject the governance and oversight of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Tom Halverson is our guest. He's recently written a column titled Complaint Filed in LCMS v. Christian Banwolf and Concordia University, Texas. Tom, you had mentioned that a significant part of this complaint is the background section. What kind of information does that section provide for the court? Yeah, it's a really big, it's kind of a almost a gorilla in its scale in this complaint. I'm going to split it into four sections. The first is where the LCMS explains to the court the meaning of some terms in our Constitution and bylaws, because the court would have no way of knowing how we're using those terms unless we told them. So it's helpful to the court. Courts want to see that kind of explanation. The second part is the history of the relationship between the LCMS and CTX. The third part is the action where the CTX Board of Regents broke from that historical and contractual relationship. And then the fourth part is the request by the Board of Directors of the LCMS to the Commission on Constitutional Matters to answer 10 questions about the actions of the regents at CTX and the action of the Synod and Convention in August, where it adopted Resolution 703 to call Concordia University, Texas to repentance. Under the first part, the meaning of terms, the complaint tells the court what the phrase the Synod means and that the Synod is not a civil entity. 
And the court wouldn't know that unless it was explained to them. So the, the synod is explaining that. And that the synod is the church and an ecclesiastical entity. So that as far as the synod is concerned, the court is obligated because of the First Amendment to recognize the religious and churchly nature of the synod. Then it defines the LCMS. And different from the synod, that is a temporal legal entity, and it conducts the secular business of the synod. So that's pretty helpful for the court to know. Then it explains the the role of the board of directors in general, and particularly with regard to the synod's universities. It explains the Concordia University system and Concordia, Texas in particular. And then it quotes the definition from the bylaws of the synod about what the term agency of the synod means. This is a very interesting part where I learned something. You know, I was taking the word agency more or less as principle and agency from ordinary American law, but that is not the use of the term in the bylaws. This was an area of growth for me reading this from the complaint that instead it is defined not as a civil law agent in the civil law principle and agency relationship, but is an entity authorized to be established to accomplish the synod's objectives. And it is an instrumentality of the synod. There's not that much separation between the synod and its agent. It's an, the agency is an instrumentality of the synod. So I, I think that was a pretty significant pleading and it's going to strengthen the claim. I thought the claim was pretty good before under the way I was thinking of it before they filed this lawsuit, but that's, that's going to strengthen the claim quite a bit. Then in the second part, the history, there's a lot of really amazing stuff in this history about the LCMS in 1926 actually selected the property for the original campus, not some independent corporation that today is the CTX Corporation. It was the Senate, the LCMS did that, bought the property, paid for it, authorized and paid for the construction of buildings and furniture, assisted with funding and purchasing of books for the library and so on. And and then they they deeded the land to the CTX Corporation in trust for the Synod with a reversionary clause that under certain circumstances, the land would revert back to the LCMS. It talks about how people have contributed to CTX because it is a Synod school, how they send their children, pay tuition to it because it is a synod school, and they're going to get a Lutheran education there. And goes on into in 19, uh, or excuse me, 2006, when CTX came to the synod and wanted to move its campus, have a little more space, be able to do some more things. They asked the synod to waive its reversionary interest on the original campus so that the campus could be sold and the proceeds of that sale could be invested into the new campus. The LCMS did conditionally waive it. And of course, the condition was, we're going from one campus to the other. We're going to let you sell the old campus so that you can get the money from it to buy the new campus. But of course, that comes with the obligation to establish the reversionary interest on the new campus that we had on the old one. And they go into, they discuss a hundred years worth of history between the LCMS and CTX like this. I'm going to have to leave a lot of this out, but people can read this complaint. It's a public record. And then comes the section about the break where on November 8, 2022, a majority of the regents voted to break from the synod, to deny that they are stewards of the synod, to not let the synod elect regents, to not let it appoint regents to not follow the constitution or bylaws, to not be subject to the doctrine of the synod, to be able to decide for themselves whatever their doctrine is going to be, to reject the synod's qualifications of regents and of the university president, and so on. It's just a complete across-the-board walking off with the property and the doctrine and the, the whole enchilada of the campus and the school altogether. So the fourth and final part of the background talks about that the board of directors of the LCMS asked the Commission on Constitutional Matters 10 questions about the action to see what their opinion was of, were these actions proper under the Constitution and bylaws of the Senate? And of course, 
the opinion that they issued ahead of our convention this summer was in the negative on all those 10. It was a really strong opinion that this was completely wrong. And they even used the word null and void, which is some pretty extreme language, really, when you're talking about this kind of material. And then on top of that, the Senate in convention, which by our bylaws is the highest legislative body of the Senate, it's kind of the final authority legislatively, passed Resolution 703, which for one thing, affirmed the decision of the CCM. So now the CCM is, is no longer a provisional decision. It's an adopted opinion of the entire Synod and calling the leadership of Concordia, Texas to repentance, declaring that they had violated the bylaws, the Constitution, and in our religious interest that they had violated the Seventh and the Ninth and the Fourth Commandments and offering a space of time for them to repent before otherwise some other actions might have to take place, such as now has taken place by the filing of this complaint. We're getting an update from attorney Tom Halverson on an attempt by Concordia University, Texas, to reject the governance and oversight of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to issues, etc. Here's an excerpt from Pastor Matt Harrison's column in the September edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine. We are not just trying to win a debate or turn the tide of the culture in our favor. We are saying to the world, we have something good and true and beautiful. The beauty of the gospel is just as compelling as its truth. The culture pours out vitriol on those who confess Christ as God and Lord. And into this morass of wickedness and ugliness, the church has an opportunity to speak of eternal truth and beauty. The Lutheran Witness magazine interprets the world from a Lutheran perspective. An annual print and digital subscription is less than $20. Learn more at cph.org slash witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040, the Lutheran Witness Magazine. When we come back, what parts of that background stood out to Tom as particularly significant? Sanctified us in the true faith. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Have you ever pondered the limits of archaeology? What can it tell us? What can't it tell us? Well, Dr. David Adams takes up this topic in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, where he discusses the fact that archaeology ultimately doesn't prove anything. It simply gives us the facts that have to be interpreted. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness, or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org, to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. We love our on-demand listeners. You're listening to Issues Etc. I'm Pastor Todd Rappi. I serve a congregation here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, our Redeemer Lutheran Church, a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. All of the saints here gather around blood, water, and spirit as theologians of the cross every Sunday morning at 1030. We only welcome sinners. We certainly would welcome you. If you'd like to contact us through our website, you may do so at faylcms.org. Memoria Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Attorney Tom Halverson is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. He's giving us an update on an attempt by Concordia University, Texas, to reject the governance and oversight of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. 
Um, we went through that background. Are there any parts of it that stand out to you as being particularly significant? Well, the part about the agency is very significant. And the part about how much the LCMS did in the original establishment of the school, how much it has done to continually sustain the school, the role of the fact that it is a synod school in contributions that it has received, the role of the fact that it is a synod school in people sending their children to be educated there. A lot of this stuff you kind of ho-hum sort of take for granted, but when they start pleading it in this complaint and it takes on breath and life, I mean, it really comes off the page as powerfully significant. And the other part that I think is very significant is that the contract claims, which are two of the six claims, the contract breach itself and the tortious interference with contract by Don Christian, these claims maybe could have been pleaded before July 6th of this year, but probably no one would have done it. On July 6th of this year, there was a decision just ahead of our convention, just as we were heading to Milwaukee, and in Texas, in a Texas Intermediate State Court, between the Methodist Conference and Southern Methodist University, where Southern Methodist University amended its Articles of Incorporation and Bylaws without any authority from the Methodist Conference. Now, as you hear that, what does that sound like? It sounds an awful lot like CTX on November 8 of 2022, amending its bylaws and articles without any permission from the LCMS. And the state district court dismissed the case, and the Methodist Conference appealed to an intermediate appellate court in Texas that reversed and said, we can't find where in Texas any court has ever said before that the Articles of Incorporation of a nonprofit corporation constitute a contract with the parent body, such as in this case between SMU and the Methodist Conference. But no one should be too surprised at that being the case when you look at the relationship between in a profit corporation, the shareholders and the corporation, the articles do constitute a contract there. In a nonprofit, you don't have shareholders, but you might have a parent organization like the Methodist Conference. So what really jumps out at me is how up-to-date and alert and astute the attorneys for the LCMS have been in that they have completely caught up to what's going on in that SMU case and they're pleading two of their six counts based on that ruling, saying that, you know what, just like between the Methodists and SMU, between us and CTX, those articles are a contract. And so that's a breach of contract. And what's even more startling then is that if that's right, if that is a contract, and if Donald Christian is responsible for wrongfully interfering in that contract, as they allege in one of the later claims, then that under tort law makes Donald Christian individually and personally liable for the entire loss that the synod suffers from the breach of the contract. And one way of measuring that is just go to the financial statements and look at how they value the property of the university, because after all, they are walking off with the property. So that's got to be part of the damage. And that value is over $111 million. And consequently, just based on this new case of SMU from this summer, the LCMS attorneys have pleaded this, and that's exposing Donald Christian to individual liability for $111 million. You said that count one is a claim for a declaratory judgment. What is that, and what is the... Luther Church, Missouri said it's seeking in that particular count. A declaratory judgment is a procedural and remedial law that says that even if you haven't gotten to a stage yet where we could award damages, because uh, although a wrong has been committed, the damages haven't really developed yet. So you might not have had a case or might not have been able to get a court to declare what the rights and duties of parties are in a certain transaction. Still, if the matter has developed so that it really is a controversy, there's really a dispute here, then 
you can obtain a declaratory judgment even if you're not asking for and we can't award you damages yet. So that's what the declaratory judgment action does. And it's possible that there will never be damage if, through this case, the LCMS prevails and wins its campus back, wins these other things back, then that's going to reduce the damages down to quite a bit less than what they would have been otherwise. So a declaratory judgment act is pretty important for a case like this at this early stage. It allows the court, even though they might not be able to award damages yet, to declare whether what parties have done is right or wrong according to the law applicable to the case and to state what their duties are. So in this particular instance, the LCMS is seeking a series of declarations, including to confirm the opinion of the CCM that the defendants violated the CTX governing documents, confirming the CCM opinion that the defendants acted in violation of the Synod Constitution and bylaws, declaring that CTX breached its contract with the LCMS or in the alternative to contract, is liable to the LCMS for promissory estoppel, declaring that the individual defendants breached their fiduciary duties to the LCMS, declaring that CTX and Donald Christian violated the Texas Business Organization Code, declaring that the CTX governance documents with amendments through December 31 of 2021 are the valid corporate governing documents and that the amendments made after that are null and void and are not valid, declaring that the charter amendment is void and that any actions that were taken based on that amendment, such as the regents of the university themselves appointing new regents or their rejection of the election on August 3 of this year, of four regents from the Synod in Convention that where they sent the next day on August 4 a letter telling those four people we're not going to seat you because we don't recognize the right of the LCMS to elect uh, regents to this board of regents. All of these kind of actions based on the null and void amendment of the articles and bylaws to be declared also null and void to require CTX to enact upon its property at the new campus the same reversionary interest that had been on the original campus, to declare that CTX and its Board of Regents and the individual defendants are fiduciaries to the LCMS and owe the fiduciary duties that are described in the Synod's bylaws, and to declare that any future amendments to the CTX government documents must comply with the Synod Constitution and bylaws, including that the Commission on Constitutional Matters has to approve changes before they are made or filed with the Secretary of State. When you listen to that list and you say to yourself, gee, you wonder what they missed. They didn't miss much. The attorneys for the LCMS have pretty well gone around and mopped up the whole floor with this. They've covered all the ground in count one on the declaratory judgment. There are two counts about contracts. One is for breach of contract, and the other is for interference with the contract. And that one is leveled solely at Don Christian. What does the complaint say about those claims? Well, as I mentioned before, just before our convention in Milwaukee, the Court of Appeals for the 5th District of Texas at Dallas issued an opinion in a case between the Methodist Church and the Southern Methodist University. And as I explained, they have now said for the first time, what the opinion claims shouldn't be surprising. Just the fact that it was never said before, nevertheless, the court believes this should not be surprising, that the articles of incorporation of a nonprofit corporation, such as SMU, or in our case, CTX, is a contract not only within the organization between the regents and the president and others, but between that corporation, the CTX corporation, and a parent body such as the LCMS or the Synod. So when the regents of CTX go and change that set of articles and bylaws, they are arbitrarily changing a contract without the consent of the other party. Now, anywhere else in contract law is that even possible? Nowhere else where if there were two parties, let's say ExxonMobil is a party to a contract contract, 
and Philip 66 is the other part of the contract. ExxonMobil can't just go off and declare a series of substantial changes to the contract with no consent from Philip 66. Contracts are all about consent and they're all about mutual consent where all the parties are agreeing. So the fact of this contract nature that we now have had clarified for articles of incorporation tells you that you've got to have the consent of the other party. And that would probably be true even if our bylaws didn't say anything about the CCM having the role of making the approval. Somebody would have to have the role just because it's a contract. In this case, it's nice that we've clarified who has that role in our bylaws. It's the CCM, but that probably wouldn't even be necessary according to what the court said. So when the regents went off and made those changes, and it's very substantial, they're going to decide for themselves what the doctrine of the school is. That's a big change. They're going to decide for themselves who the regents are, what the qualifications are, who's qualified to be the president, all of this kind of stuff. They are going to refuse to seat regents that the Senate in convention elects. Those are huge changes. That's pretty clearly a breach of contract. We're talking with Tom Halverson, getting an update on an attempt by Concordia University, Texas, to reject the governance and oversight of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We'll discuss something called promissory estoppel next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Pumpkin spice flavored everything is in the air. It's the perfect time of year to curl up with a nice warm beverage using one of Ad Crucem's mugs, featuring your favorite Lutheran symbols, Bible verses, or Christian humor. For example, Jesus' personality type is INRI. St. Paul is the patron saint of the run-on sentence. And of course, chancel culture is practiced here. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Solid. Serious. Substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the Master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well-lived. Truth, Freedom, Vocation, Concordia University, Chicago. 
cuchicago.edu. Luther Rose, Yes, Jesus Loves Me, Agnes Day. These are just a few of the coffee mugs that you can purchase from Ad Crucem. Browse before you buy at adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. We're getting an update on an attempt by Concordia University to reject the governance and oversight of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Tom Halverson is our guest, an attorney in Montana and author of a recent column titled Complaint Filed in LCMS v. Christian Banwolf and Concordia University, Texas. Tom, you said that one of the claims, it's really kind of the backstop claim, involves something called promissory estoppel. What is that? Well, I don't know how down in the weeds I want to get, but I'll I'll just see if I can do a little bit of this on Anglo-American jurisprudence. Our law here on promissory estoppel is coming to us from the mists of time in England and comes into this country through the English settlement of colonies in this country. They had like 17 different kinds of courts. There were courts of law, courts of equity, and, and another 15 kind of courts. If you had a suit on a contract, you had to go to a court of law because that was the court that had jurisdiction of contracts. Now, sometimes somebody would make you a promise, and you relied on that promise and changed your position, and it cost you. And then they breached their promise. And now you're really hurt by the fact that they didn't keep their promise. But you don't have all the elements of a contract. So then you go to the court of law and you plead and you try to say that it's a contract. And they tell you, no, you're missing the last two things of a contract. Sorry, you don't have any remedy. Well, then there was a different court called the court of equity and where they didn't have sort of the rigidity of the elements you needed to plead to prove your case like in the case of a contract. They kind of stepped back, looked more at the forest and less at the trees and said, you know, we're going to give you a relief where you don't have a contract, but where somebody did make a promise, and the court is going to stop the mouth of the person who made the promise and breached it from denying that they're responsible for the harm they've done by breaching their promise. So that's where they get the words promissory estoppel. They're going to stop the mouth. You're trying to say you don't have a contract. You know what? We don't want to hear about it. We don't care that it's not a contract. You made a promise. You breached your promise. You caused damage. And the people relied on your promise, and it was reasonable for them to rely on it. You're going to be responsible in equity. So this is how it's a backstop or an alternative to a contract claim. Here, the LCMS made a contract claim, and if that prevails, then they'll be willing to relinquish this claim because it would be duplicate, an unnecessary duplication. But if something would happen where, in this instance, the court would rule that the articles somehow were not a contract, then this is a fallback position, such as I described between the old courts of Britain that still exist. Now, here in the United States, we've combined all these courts into one, but the courts always have to remember this history, and they act like an old court of law sometimes, and they act like an old court of equity other times. And when you're in count three on promissory estoppel, that's invoking the old courts of equity to give you a relief if CTX made promises to the LCMS and it was reasonable for CTX to have to foresee that when they made those promises, the LCMS would change its position in reliance on the promises. And then the LCMS, in fact, did change its position and it changed it because of reliance on the promises. And then CTX breached the promises and caused harm to the LCMS. So even if there's no contract, the court will stop the mouth of the promiser, that's promissory estoppel, and give a relief even though it isn't the relief of a contract case. The fourth count is about breach of fiduciary duties. What is the LCMS pleading there? Well, this is probably one of the cleaner and simpler ones to understand. A fiduciary is just a person in a position of trust or confidence to serve another. They're not on their own business. They're on the business of a person that they're serving. And the bylaws of the Senate expressly declare in quite a few places that the regents of the CTX are fiduciaries of the Synod. And there's a Texas statute that provides that a religious, charitable, or educational institution may own property in trust 
for a controlling body. And the, the LCMS pleads and quotes from that statute when it's talking about the property and the reversionary interest of the LCMS to the campus there in Texas. So fiduciaries owe duties of loyalty, care, and obedience to the people that they're serving. And in this instance, the regents, the president of the university, and the chairman of the regents owe these duties to the LCMS. The complaint alleges that they have breached these duties by a series of actions, one by failing to follow through with establishing the reversionary interest of the LCMS on the new campus, by amending the corporate governance documents without approval from the Synod, by refusing to seat the four new regents just elected on August 4 by the Synod in Convention, by themselves appointing imposter regents, by removing all the governing oversight from the Synod, by removing all the ecclesiastical supervision of the theological training at the university, denying their duty to adhere to the doctrines of the Synod, filing a materially false statement of a charter amendment with the Texas Secretary of State, and walking away with synodical assets of the university valued in financial disclosure or reporting documents at over $111 million. That's the breach of fiduciary case, and it's pretty straightforward and simple to understand. And then finally, there's this count about violations of Texas Business Organization's code. What is being alleged there? You know, this is something that uh, when we were interviewing earlier in the summer, Pastor Wilk, there was an attorney from Texas that heard your interview of me, and he calls me up on the phone and starts explaining to me some things about the Texas Business Organization Act, that when you file amendments of things like Articles of Incorporation, you're required to certify, which is a very solemn act, to make a certification is a solemn act, that everything that's supposed to have happened to rightly be amending these articles has happened. And he was explaining to me why he was pretty sure that for Donald Christian to sign that certification or anyone else from CTX to have signed that certification must have been fraudulent because they had to know when they were signing it that, in fact, that had not happened. They had not even asked the CCM of the LCMS for approval. And so, of course, therefore, the CCM had not given approval. So in saying that everything that should have happened to amend had happened, that was a false certification and it should cause problems. Well, in this count five, that's exactly what the LCMS is pleading. They're saying that the previous provision of the Articles of Incorporation required the business of the corporation of CTX to be conducted in accordance with the rules and regulations of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And that includes the requirement that the CCM give approval of any amendments to articles or bylaws. So when you're certifying that you're amending your articles and saying that you have done everything you're supposed to do before you amend, but yet you haven't gotten the approval of the CCM, that's a false and fraudulent certification. So in the complaint, I'm going to read you a quote of what they say in count five. They say, CTX and Donald Christian had knowledge that the statement was materially false because they knew that CTX had not obtained the Synod's prior approval and authorization by and through the CCM to the amendment of the CTX charter pursuant to the charter amendment required by the CTX governing documents. Now, one of the hot aspects of that claim is this is a civil suit, so this isn't a criminal case, but they recite the fact that under that provision of the Texas Code of Business Organizations, to make a false certification like that is a crime in the state of Texas. So I'm not exactly sure. That's one of the kind of curiosities of this complaint. I'm not exactly sure why they made that recitation, but it's in there. And so I went and read that provision of the Texas law, and indeed it is there. I don't think you see those laws pushed a lot of times, but it does help give the footing to this civil claim that it was a false and fraudulent action, and it gives footing to the 
request over in the declaratory judgment claim to declare that CTX has to revert those articles back to the way they should be. Tom Halverson is our guest. He's an attorney in Montana. We're discussing an attempt by Concordia University, Texas, to reject the governance and oversight of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We'll find out why the complaint demands a trial by jury next. The Church's Music from the 20th Century The 17th Century The 11th Century Eighth century. The fourth century. The best of the church's music from the past two thousand years. LutheranPublicRadio.org. Lutheran. It's not a label, it's a confession. You're listening to Issues Etc. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website, withangelsandarchangels.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're getting an update on an attempt by Concordia University, Texas, to reject the governance and oversight of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. Our guest is Tom Halverson, an attorney in Montana. In about 10 minutes, we'll begin a series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Our guest will be Dr. Reed Lessing. Tom, what do you make of the demand by the LCMS in this complaint for a trial of their claims by jury? Well, now that's very interesting because you can have what's called a bench trial, which is just a trial to the judge with no jury, or you can have a jury trial. There's no duty on any party to demand a jury trial. If one party that has a right to demand a jury uh, trial demands one, then, then, the, then you have a jury trial. If none of the parties do, then it's not very common that a court could force a jury trial onto the parties. And instead, the court would have the obligation to try the, uh, the case just to itself, that is to the bench, called a bench trial. So when parties file a complaint or when CTX files an answer, they, you know, their answer will be due after a couple of two, three, or four weeks. When they file, both of the parties are required to say whether they want a jury trial or not. So that's a strategic decision for each of the parties to make. They've got to ask themselves, does my evidence or does my case, the way I can argue it in front of a jury, have jury appeal. There are certain kinds of cases or claims or evidence that are a lot easier to explain to a judge than to a jury, or that have more appeal to a judge than to a jury, and vice versa. This is telling me that the attorneys for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, who have looked at the evidence they're holding and planning to introduce in the event that we have to try this case, and looking at the kind of jury argument that they could make, if it is a jury trial, 
have decided they like their chances with the jury, that they think their evidence in their case has jury appeal. And what I think that means is that they believe that these claims are not complicated. They're pretty simple, and they stand up to ordinary sense of justice. People are just going to be able to see and feel by intuition that what CTX did was just wrong. And yeah, they want to hear from the law. They want some instructions from Texas law about contracts and about corporations and about fiduciary. Sure, they want that, and they're going to follow the jury instructions. But basically, the behavior of CTX just doesn't pass the taste test. It just tastes bad. And that's why I think the LCMS attorneys have made a demand for a jury trial. So now that we've gone through the various parts of this complaint, what's your overall impression of it? Well, to begin with, I'm very impressed with the competency and capabilities of the attorneys representing the LCMS, and I'm very impressed with the board of directors. There are some claims in this complaint that I had thought about before our prior interviews that I never mentioned in those interviews because even though I think they're good claims, I really didn't believe that the board of directors had the fortitude to make those claims formally in court. And I was wrong, wrong, wrong. I was so wrong. This board of directors has really demonstrated what in my opinion is extremely good character in bringing these claims. The attorneys have done an adept job of pleading them. The complaint is easy to read. It is not hard to understand. They are completely up to date. They comprehended the meaning of the SMU case practically instantly. I mean, that case, that case is still in infancy. As in, you know, we talk about dog years. In law years, that's a fresh, newly born baby still crying, you know, just recently spanked to get breath in its body. That's how young that is in law time. And these attorneys are right there on top of it. I'm very impressed with them. And I want to use the word proud. I'm proud of the board of directors for the action that they've taken. So has Concordia University, Texas, responded to this civil lawsuit filed by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod? If so, how? They haven't yet. Under the federal rules of civil procedure, they have an amount of time before they have to file, and that has nowhere near run out yet. And there are some common extensions of that time that frequently happen that are not necessarily considered just wasting people's time. There are good reasons why a party might need additional time to plead. I can see where CTX might ask for some additional time. It would certainly be reasonable if they did. I, nobody should hold anything against them if they did that. So it'll be a while, and there's been no formal filing yet. Apart from any formal filing, which I agree should take some time, have there been any public statements in response to the complaint? Somebody forwarded to me an email, and I need to check the provenance of that and a little background on that before I would make any public statements about it. But one thing I did notice is there was a claim that they did want to talk to the board of directors, that they responded to the board of directors' plea for a meeting. I should back up and explain to any of those of your listeners who didn't know that Following the convention, when Resolution 703 was passed, which was to call CTX to repentance, then the Board of Directors, following from that resolution, did communicate with the Board of Regents of CTX saying, come on, let's meet, let's talk. And what the CTX Regents have said in an email is that, well, they were willing to talk as long as you do a couple of things that are our conditions. One is we want you to admit before we even talk that you don't have any control or supervision over us, even though that's the issue to be discussed. In other words, you've got to give up the issue before you even sit down and talk. It's like, so then there's no point in talking because it's fait accompli. There's like, we'll talk about anything except what we need to talk about. That was the first ground rule. And the second one was about what they called professional facilitator. There are people that sell the service of facilitating conversations between people or like dispute resolution discussions. So you don't know who these people are, but you can be sure that this comes from the idea that there's such a thing as neutrality 
when it comes to doctrine, such a thing as neutrality, when it comes to a parent organization having the authority over a child organization, that, well, no, really, we could be neutral about doctrine, and so the facilitator is going to apply a neutrality that really the LCMS is being unreasonable in expecting its own synodical school to subscribe to its doctrines and to only teach its doctrines in its classes and to live the faith of our religion on the campus. That's really too, uh, what do you call it, biased and extreme, and we just can't have that because that's not neutral. Well, there is no neutrality doctrinally. And so the idea of this facilitator is just that you have to cave into this phony secular neutrality when you're talking about a church in control of its church school. So I don't know what the board of directors, how they replied to that. I sure hope they just said, well, we, we received your letter. We thank you for the letter, but no, we can't accept either one of those two conditions. And they would have been darn fools and poor churchmen if they would have accepted conditions like that. Tom Halverson is an attorney in Montana. He's author of a recent column titled Complaint Filed in LCMS v. Christian Banwolf and Concordia University, Texas. You can read it on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you, Pastor Welkin. We begin a new series based on our Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, on Finding Jesus in the Old Testament with Dr. Reed Lessing next. St. Peter encourages us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That is where we get the Greek word for apologetics, that is to defend the Christian faith. The September issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the topics of apologetics and archaeology and discusses both of them in detail with articles from Paul Meyer, Sarah Rinsel, Mark Meal, and David Adams. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons, or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. 